101. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. It's Al. Welcome back to another session of Vino 101. Bill, what you what you drinking? I am drinking a Russian River Pilsner, STS Pilsner. STS Pilsner. Where'd you get that from? At, from Russian River Brewing. Okay. All right. Yeah. You, uh, oh, so you drove up there or you get it at the store? We got, you know, we, uh, in, in Santa Rosa. Santa Rosa. Okay. All right. On Saturday night, we went to a drive-in movie at the Santa Rosa Fairgrounds. They viewed Men in Black, so you could pay 40 bucks a car and drive in. Everybody was social distanced. They played the soundtrack to the movie through a low-power FM transmitter, so it came through on the radio. And before we went there, we went to the to Russian River. They have good wings and pizza, so we got wings and pizza and a couple beers and went to the movie. I don't want to brag. You've never had my wings before. Sometimes I'll make them for you once oh, the social distancing stuff is over, and then yeah, you'll be, you'll be converted. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm I have no doubt that that is true. <laughs> <laughs> when, I mean, Russian River's wings are big, so that's a thing in and of itself. Yeah, that's, I mean. I mean, it's not bakes, a. You know, hey, I, you know, not to quibble, but who bakes, who bakes wings? Wings must be deep fried. I don't, yeah, I mean. <laughs> so, although I would love to, at, at one, at some point in time, we should do the wingman visit. So they, in Katati. So okay. it, it's yeah. not, they're not, um, what's interesting about that is, is that you can get multiple, they don't sauce the wings. Right. So you can try all of their sauces. Now I was in there one day, probably about six months ago, and he brings out this bowl of California reaper peppers, mm-hmm. which are not supposed to be as hot, but like their top, their hottest sauce, I think is made with these peppers. They're grown locally. They're grown in Vacaville. Or not Vacaville, okay. but in um, in uh, Cordelia Junction, like right around in there. Gotcha, was, gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, the story on this person is, I can't remember, he is another ex-Keller chef makes killer wings. There we go. There we go. Another tie-in, a nice segue and tie-in is you can go into their pub, have they have awesome fries, have fries and wings, and have, yes, an STS on tap. He's a huge yeah, he has like at least ten, if not twelve taps different. I'll have to put that on my list of things to do. I'm still, as you know, I'm I'm still sheltering in place. I'm still hiding under my bed. But yes. as as soon as as soon as we get out from under our bed, we're definitely gonna, we got a lot of places we got to go to. Yeah, well, you can they it, the takeout because he doesn't sauce the wings and yeah. they're so crispy. They mm-hmm. actually travel great, and you can get the sauces and. Um, he does make he makes a pulled pork that's awesome is like really awesome and he has a carolina based you know must uh, uh, sorry a mustard based uh, barbecue sauce and more of a tomato based uh, you know more of a tomato based sauce so one's more north carolina and one's more like the rest of the southern states and man are they they're good yeah, I, I think the secret, or at least I think the secret is for wings is obviously you always deep fry them. And then as soon as they're fried, when they come out and you drain them, 
you immediately apply the sauce at that time because the wings will absorb the sauce sauce at that time and then you serve them right away and then you've got the you've got the garlic and the hot sauce and the vinegar all hitting you in the face the whole thing you know then all you need is some celery and some blue cheese and you're good to go yeah there's something you said for the for the basket being put in front of you in that yeah, just you know, wafting up the yeah. vinegar and the hot sauce, you know, that that hit you. Yeah, I know. I hear what you're saying. I'll be really interested to hear what you have to say. Because I, I I remember the first time I had his wings and I was like, yeah. what? Where's the sauce? And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of. But I like it. We've gone. We go back. And I have I have baked the wings when we've done them at home. You know, I baked them just because I'm you know, lazy to fire up the kettle, you know, on the back 40 and, you know, get it going, you know, because the whole thing of, you know, you know, I, I don't like frying stuff in the house because oh, once you fry in the house, it's in the house. So, you, yeah. you know, so. Especially if you're deep frying with any kind of quantity of oil. Yeah. Yeah. It just gives off vapor and that stuff just like sticks to stuff no matter how. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. It's, so that's that's my thing. I'm having uh, tonight. I'm having some uh, Staporte Suave Classico. Oh, from, uh, Graziano Pra. Yes, and Suave. Suave is a varietal. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what I'm having tonight. Good yeah, looking. having a little uh, uh, Garganaga. It's 100% Garganaga. Uh, uh, and are you gonna um, are you gonna make some lovely Italian food to go with that wine tonight? Uh, you know, actually, we already had dinner. So, yeah, um, uh, my wife is starving herself during the day. So when she gets home, she's ready to eat. So what she says to me is she says, are you ready to eat? <laughs> so like, yeah, which I guess the answer, I which the answer is always yes, <laughs> I'm ready. If I answer no, that's not so good. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, yeah, we already. But so I'm just having it by itself. But it's very light. Um, this wine is actually, um, it's, uh, it's, it's actually made and it's, uh, hand-picked, it's fermented in stainless steel vats, um, and they do a little botanage, which means that they, uh, leave it on the, um, the gross leaves and they just kind of stir it up for about six months. It doesn't see any wood. It's really, really, it's, uh, it's It's very smooth and round. Uh, it's, uh, this is the 20, uh, 2017. And one thing I found is I found another, um, I'm always talking about um, look on the back of the label, turn it around and see who actually imports it. And the importer is becoming fast becoming one of my favorites. It's Oliver McCrum. <laughs> and uh, you just got to love the name McCrum. I don't know if you remember them, but when we were, when we went down, um, when we were in uh, San Francisco and we went to the, um, to the uh, tasting at the, on the pier, and uh, we did an interview with that gentleman. But uh, these people had some wines that they were pouring, but I was really impressed with their olive oil. That they yes. Had. And I couldn't, I still haven't found that olive oil. But, uh, you know, their wines, they, they do a pretty good job of picking their the wines. wines were, so. I remember the wines. They were good. Yeah. And they, I, if I remember, they had quite a few bottle, like a few different um, selections. Yeah, they were representing several companies there. Several brands were there. So, hey, uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask you. I think I already know the answer, Bill. Um, Regions Wine Bar down at the Barlow, what happened? 
did you get down there? Because I mean, I mean, we kind of had a we spoke uh, just to catch everybody up. We spoke briefly uh, yesterday, Bill and I, and we were actually going to record a podcast, but um, we got busy just catching up on life. And uh, we just never got around to recording. It's like, you know, it's not like we live blocks from each other, which is true. And it's it, it's COVID. It's just weird. You meet, you know, you don't see people for a couple, you know, for a couple weeks or talk to them. It's like you feel like it, you know, old home week. Yeah. Where you been? I've been I've been around that block. Yeah, I mean, literally <laughs> working out of my house, not leaving my minutes away. But no, we have a new wine bar in the Barlow. And it's called Region. And they have a, um, it's self-service, and which means you can go tr- try as much as you want from 50, 50, I think, different, 50 different wines. Um, that many? Yeah, that's what yeah. it says. It says 50 small production wines, self-serve yeah. wine station. Wow, that's a lot of... Uh, yeah, they got a lot of machines. They kind of look in there. That's crazy. Yeah, and I and I believe that when when we when we first discovered that this was coming, that this system that they have is is fairly. I think it's new, but don't quote me on that. We should find out. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, it's 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 a new version on an old old thing. I mean, the whole thing of going in, um, it's Argon, and, and getting like, a key card. Oh yeah, and, sure, and, sure. and getting it loaded up. I mean, that's that's been around for 15 years. But um, the machines are probably new. But they are the wines are actually um, preserved by Argon. Now it's it's interesting. I mean, it, the wines are supposed to you know they're supposed to taste just the same as uh, you know the top of the bottle is supposed to taste the same as like the bottom third of the bottle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I haven't really come across that with yeah. these machines yet. Do you have any experience dealing with opening bottles and using argon gas to preserve them? Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I, I say that there's a, you know, that you experience that for for more than a more than a year. Right. I mean, for a while. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, there I definitely noticed that there even if the bottle was a day old, that, you know, the argon, I mean, the argon gas is supposedly tasteless and odorless and all of that good stuff, but there's still gas. You know, just like when you set down the bowl of of wings and the, you know, the peppers coming off of it or whatever, you know, the argon still has to bleed out. So I don't know. I don't know if it, it, changes the taste of wine people say no but i don't know the age of the wine definitely matters like once it gets open even if it is replaced with gas because it's not at least in a system i've experienced it wasn't perfect right there was always some oxygen yeah it's not a perfect system and and the main thing with these systems is the maintenance because what you have to remember is that you're you know you're moving wine then it empties and you're opening up the system again to air so it's really about the maintenance and the cleaning same thing with um a brewer kit at a at a restaurant. You know, you can have the greatest beer in a keg, but if you don't have somebody coming there and servicing and cleaning those lines weekly and making sure that everything's good, yeah. you know, you're gonna your beer is gonna be it's gonna taste terrible. Yeah. You know, over you know, so it's the same thing. This stuff is all new. I mean, we got we kind of got off track there, but I think that 
the setup they have, you know, from what I could see, I just walked by and looked in. It looks like it's a it's a pretty cool setup. And I'm looking at the photo here. Um, and I guess they have a lot of outdoor seating because obviously you can't sit inside the That's way right. it was designed. Yeah. So you have to sit outside. I don't know how they're going to work that with the people going in, going out. I mean, it's it's going to be a little clunky probably because that's really not how they designed the store because they probably envisioned it a year and a half ago and they didn't plan for us to be, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. So, I mean, they're, they're going to work it out. They're going to open it up. Those machines are expensive and they've got a lot of them. <laughs> so those are really, really expensive machines. So, um, but what's cool about it is they have, it's all small production wineries. So if you come out here to Sonoma County, you go to this place, you're going to, you're going to, I'm going to go there because you'll have the opportunity to try wines that you really wouldn't get the opportunity to try anywhere except maybe in a restaurant, you know, and this is going to work to their, this is really going to help them out because these, these, a lot of these places, they sold to restaurants. And that's what they did. And they've lost their supplier. They've lost their their way of, you know, selling their wares. So I'm pretty, pretty excited about it. But they spent um, they spent a ton of money putting this place together. When you look at all those machines and you look at the setup. Yeah, there's a lot of. uh, One thing about that's interesting about this, this area that's called the Barlow is if, if you're a. When you rent a uh, a retail space there, you're effectively renting a shell, which I guess is true to some degree in most, like a mall. You know, you've still got to do all your build out. Yeah, yeah. But in, but in this case, it's a little bit more complicated because you have, you know, food and beverage. So there's just, you know, you've got to have water and like all of that stuff. But the, you know, there's a lot of, as Al is pointing out, when you, when you, the uh, the store is very visually uh, aesthetically pleasing. It's well thought out in terms of its design, and there's a lot of money in that. You know, there's like tile, and you know that tile wasn't like ordered. It wasn't a piece of uh, linoleum that was laid on the back of the bar. It's like handmade tile that's in. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of money there. It'll be interesting to see if it did. It could really go either way. Because the the store can adapt. You know, just think about if you're a winery. Because I, you know, as a wine, as a wine, as a winery, can you sell? You know, is this a way to retail your wine? Yeah, it's almost like um, it's it's almost like it's a, it's it's a pop up for a winery. They say that in the they say that in the in their in their. Uh, I mean, that's in the that's, article. That's literally what it is. Yeah, and. It's 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 all I think it's going to be exclusively Sonoma County wines. So, I mean, you know, it's it's the Sonoma County experience. So you'll be going there. You'll be trying, you know, it'll be predominantly Pinot Noir and uh, Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc and, you know, all of the the keynote varietals. And then they'll throw in some oddballs here and there. I'm sure there'll be some odd stuff. But um, I think they said there's even an orange wine but they'll have some um there's an orange wine that's a skin contact pinot gris from uh, from bennett valley but uh yeah i'm um i can't wait till you go in and try it out bill because you know you're kind of like the guinea pig you go out you take the family out you guys go ahead and uh, check it out and let me know 
and then uh, Terry and I will go by check it we'll out. We'll be we'll be happy to. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll um, there's no smooth segue to this. I really want to get to this. Um, one of my favorite actresses is uh, going into the wine business. And uh, I know you got a lot to say about this, Bill. So let me just give a quick, let me give a quick rundown. Cameron Diaz is going into the wine business with her uh, with her friend uh, Catherine Power, and we were we were speaking um, just before the podcast. You were saying that um, when you think of Cameron Diaz, you think of um, something about Mary. It's first movie I thought of. First movie, and you thought of Bad Girls, the TV show. No, no. The movie oh. that I, the, the movie that I think of is the first movie that she did, man. She didn't have a big part in it, but I loved her in The Mask with Jim Carrey. Oh, oh, sure. <laughs> and I don't know if it's Jim Curry being silly and stupid and crazy or if it's her, you know, being, you know, the blonde bimbo. But I loved her in that in that in that role. Really, really good. So Cameron's in the business of uh, wine, and what she's promoting is, well, uh, she and Catherine Power, they essentially broke the internet <laughs> a, couple, a couple of weeks ago. With vitriol. <laughs> People and were very upset. And casting many aspersions. <laughs> People, and, uh, and, alter, and ultimately hatred. There was a lot of hate being directed towards oh, these yeah. ladies. Unbelievable. Uh, and I kind of tried to stay out of it, you know, on Twitter. I just kind of, you know, I just, hey, I'm just putting it out here. Here's some information. Here's what's going on. But what they have is they have several wines um, in a very nice packaging. Uh, the wine is called uh, Aveline. And uh, if you want to buy it, you can go on wine.com. It's available in 43 states. Uh, they just launched it. You can pick it up at your, um, at your Whole Foods. You know, it's probably on a corner display there. Uh, the hook is that these wines are called clean wines, and that's where all of the um, all of the problems have arrived. Um, apparently, people in the wine world think if you call something clean, that infers that everything else that's made out there is dirty. So the women are getting a lot of hate. Bill, you're up. You know, sometimes people hate you because you're better than they are. <laughs> yeah, they did a great job figuring out, um, trying to address a market need. So the, um, you know, I think what's at play here is the, um, <clears throat> people who are going to buy wine in the 21st century have more interest in what is in the bottle than consumers have had in the past. So if millennials going to drop down 20 to 30 bucks for a bottle of wine, they kind of want to know everything about it. And so to address, you know, a market need, this company packaged, a, you know, a wine made with organic grapes and then labeled it as a clean wine. And consumers are like, yeah, I get that organic and clean. I'll buy that. Yeah. Not only that, I will buy your $12 bottle of wine for 20 and be happy about it because it's good oh, for me. 24. I saw seventeen ninety nine in one of the yeah one of the yeah it's already on sale on sale I'm looking at it now marked down regularly twenty one ninety nine yeah 
here's the here's hey, we all have to learn about our pricing better to price high and go lower that's right man you gotta gotta leave a little room for a little margin yeah how all much do we margin. make profit at oh we make profit at nine bucks great sell it for 25 if you can <laughs> hey listen you know, I'm gonna go ahead. there's a I think the meta Blake Gray did the he did the the meta conversation about this. There's a lot of people who are like this really isn't you know getting wrapped up in the technical details of what is you know what is actually in the wine. And I think what Blake you know Mr. Gray was saying is that you know these guys figured out that millennials want this type of product. You know, a clean product. They know what's in it. They know where it came from. It's organic. It's vegan. You know, they're hitting all the right marketing buzzwords. And I think that if you're a smart winemaker, you're gonna you're gonna adapt to this because most winemakers make the small wineries that we like or smaller producers that we like. From them being stewards of the land to you know them caring about what's in the what's in the bottle you know it fits this mold and so you know these people are just doing it at, at scale and as as the technical people brightly pointed out it's actually not it's really not that clean you know they're finding the wine like why do they need to find they don't really need to find the wine so there, there's like there's good arguments to be made there but i think the real meta thing is is the is the structure of the of the business and the marketing of it all these producers are figuring how to sell wine and a lot of it is you know what this really is even though it may not be fake is you know is it what is it real you know i i mean would consumers really want to know that their wine was you know fine with like a squid bladder or a sturgeon bladder or you know the stuff yeah, they don't need those details and they don't they're what are you going to do with that right i but you no, know that's a little geeky i yeah then does anybody care no, nobody cares. Yeah. Hey, I could, I, I could think if we up. actually knew what was in our food, you know, like processed food, not, no one would eat it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, my example would be, okay, you know, uh, I eat a Panera because, you know, I eat clean. Yeah. Well. Right? I mean, I mean, you'd be, you would be surprised at some of the things that would be, that you would see in a oh, kitchen no. in a restaurant that's supposed to be clean. Oh, no. Clean food. No. You you just don't even want to walk back you just, there. You just it just spend time in a kitchen. <laughs> so so it's, we're talking about optics here, Bill. So so I'm gonna poke one like hole. business optics. <laughs> like when I hear optics, I'm thinking the business. These I'm on these people are they're laughing all the way to the bank. They are. They hey. bought some organic bulk wine from Spain. Hey. Wrote Cam- good marketing copy. Got to deal with Whole Foods. There, that's that's meta gangster, and people are mad. I could have done that. You can hear them. I could have done that. Well, Cameron did. Cameron's uh, her last movie was in 2014. Hey, I think she's made an excellent play. Okay, you know yeah. she's she probably doesn't have to worry about movie roles for a while. Here's the problem I have with what they've done is. They're denigrating the other wine makers in order to push their product. And I don't know if you saw their video that they did. Where <laughs> the two of them are just sitting back, relaxing, having some of their wine. In Malibu. It's, in Malibu. It's, oh, you did you see it? 
I didn't, but I, I will, I, yeah, I will see. Hey, you know, if you do watch it, please watch it with your wife. Please. And just look at her expression on her face. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. It's the greatest, man. It's, it's so, so Cal. So anyway, the big thing with the. the I saw a picture I, of them drinking the wine. I don't need the video. <laughs> I don't need the video. Yeah, it was it was a it was an excruciatingly hard seven and a half eight minutes, but I I made it through. But hey, I'm doing it for uh, I'm doing it for the Vino 101 fans, man. So here here's the deal. Hard work. <laughs> the wine is not vintage dated. That's the one thing that I have a problem with. I'm okay with what they're doing. I'm okay with the clean concept. I'm okay with all the hate. Everything I'm okay with. But it's not vintage dated. So how do I know when I pick up a bottle of their white that I'm not picking up something that's been in a warehouse for 12 months? That's a point. You know, don't worry about it. It'll be They fine. should vintage date the wine. Champagne's not vintage data. Why does my wife have to be? <laughs> Here we go. I can hear the meeting. What do you mean? Why why do they have dates on wine? <laughs> well, it's the year that the wine was actually manufactured and released. Well, that that's ridiculous. Why doesn't champagne have that then? <sighs> well Well, the reason why they, is they want what, a consistent product. Yeah. Why can't we do that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, well, you you shot down my you shot down my wine, but oh, I, you I know, agree with you. I agree I'm sure, with you. I'm sure the wine's fine. I'm sure it's fine. I, you know, it's got to be fine. But you know, this should be vintage dated now. Isn't it? Isn't the point of wine <laughs> of actual still wine to be? Isn't there? There's like a point there, right? Beyond that, just like it's been done for, you know, since we've been roaming the earth as a race, pretty much. Kind of bottle it, write the year on it. It's yeah. it's pretty strange, man. Oh yeah. So, um, but no, I let's, get it. Let's They're let's do a to... quick recap here. Uh, so, Aveline wines are they're actually these are my words. They're probably really just commercially produced organic wines that come from. Well, we don't know who they come from. We don't actually know who makes them. And they're probably made. they're probably just made. Well, we know they they come from Portugal. Uh, the white does anyway. I thought it said Spain on the label. Uh, you might be right. It's it's uh, yeah, it's somewhere on the Iberian. Um, <laughs> Made in Iberia. <laughs> continent. <laughs> but uh, so I mean, right. but they're they're essentially making wines the way everyone else makes them, and this is where the beef is. This is where people are getting all bent out of shape. Is they're making the wine the same way that everyone else makes the wines. And actually, they're probably just buying this bulk wine. And they're claiming that their wine is somehow better than everybody else's wine. So that's where the rub is. That's why everyone is all in a row about this clean wine thing. And there's no such thing as a, you know, there's no, it's not a, a regulated term, clean wine, which makes the marketing genius all the more better. Because they're using a term that's not regulated, but sounds so good. It's like it's great. And you're right, Bill. Other producers are like, why didn't I think of this? Yeah, I'd be like, what the hell? It's vegan friendly. 
hey, is there anything wrong here yet, Bill? It's vegan, it's vegan no, friendly, it's Bill. Friendly. It's just vegan. <laughs> it's vegan wine. Brilliant. Clean vegan wine, too. You can't hate on clean vegan wine, my friend. Remember, you're selling to the same people that buy $7 avocado toast. Yes. Ah, yes. Well, well said. Well Just said. Saying. Well said. And speaking of avocado toast, I don't know if you could get avocado toast at a Danny Meyer restaurant, but maybe soon you'll be able to. Well done. Well done. Well done. Danny Meyer is hiring again. He's back in business. He's uh, came out. Of, he's come out of hibernating. I think he's got a home in Vermont. He's tired of uh, hiding under his bed like I've been. And uh, they're cranking the restaurants back up. They're actually um, uh, they've hired back a bunch of chefs and they're doing some um, some uh, piece work. Uh, they're donating a lot of the, the stuff that they're making right now. And uh, there's a nice little um, seven minute run on um, uh, CBSN. It's a little uh, uh, commercial uh, blurb to let everybody know that they're they're back in business. But um, they closed uh, the Meyer, Myers closed up all of his restaurants um, back in mid March, and he laid off all of his employees except seventy just to like the you know to keep a just a, a skeleton crew going. Yeah. And uh, that's we're talking 2,100 jobs in uh, one place. And his thing was, he said uh, uh, the the lady that was is uh, Martha uh, Tickner. She was um, interviewing. She said, "God, doing that that must have been a nightmare." And he said, "It was only a nightmare on the nights when I slept." So every night the guy's hairs were getting grayer and grayer. You could just see it. Well, I you know. He's been in a restaurant for like 35 years, Bill. (laughs) And you're talking about restaurants that are making like, uh, I mean, they're grossing like $2 million. You know, I I don't even know what crazy amounts of money. He's got like 20 restaurants. So, yeah, but they're all, you know. uh, So he went from millions to zero. You know, in one day. Right. And Danny Meyer is also one of these people who's trying to think about how to build a sustainable restaurant environment. And what I mean by that is he's thinking about how to pay people to work in a living wage to work in a restaurant. Yeah. Which, and if you go to other civilized countries, and that's an overloaded word, civilized, but if you go to if you go to France, there are people who work in restaurants all their lives. They're in the back of the house or the front of the house, and they make enough money to do that. And they and support it's a, families. It's a it's a profession there. Yes, like I yes, mean you're a mater D like you know, you take responsibility, personal responsibility for the experience of the customers and how service happens. It's a thing. And so if you and if you've been to a high end restaurant that cares about this stuff, if you've been to a union, if you've been to a Gramercy Tavern or you've been to a um, a Daily Grill, Capital Grill, I think might be one of his restaurants. Don't quote me on that. Um, you might have experienced some of this. So. You know, one of the a lot of this, a couple of the articles I read about this was him. You know, uh, the headlines were no tipping. He took his or uh, tipping's allowed again in his restaurants. Yeah. He yeah. was applying a service charge. So anyway, I. Uh, it's a it's a micro view of a big macro problem. So restaurants have had to completely invert what they do. And what I mean by that is. Most of their business and their profit came from people that came into the restaurant, bought food and booze, 
and tipped and and all of that. And now what's become important is the restaurant's ability to to do takeout meals. So 80% of my business now comes from takeout meals. And there have been businesses that have reacted very quickly. And there are businesses that haven't been able to react at all and they're going to go away. And so it's really interesting. It's interesting to me from that standpoint about the restaurant business. It actually care. It actually matters now what your food quality is like in a way that it didn't before. Yeah. And your, and your level of service is really, you know, it's under a microscope now. Yeah. I have no patience for a restaurant that cannot take an order online and tell me what time it's going to be ready. And when I get there, it's not ready. Really? No yeah. excuse anymore. Yeah. So it's really, uh, you know, you talk about trying to have to pivot in terms of what you do as a business. That's a big deal. And what does it mean? Geez, you got to get paper products. You got to train staff on how not to, you know, breathe on people. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a thing. And then well, he's, he's a lot of what Andy Meyer did in his restaurants was that experience about being in the restaurant. Yeah. And, and one of the things that he brought up is oh, they've, no. got, uh, they've got a training guide. It's 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 23 pages uh, training guide that they have, and there's a validation and a certification that every chef and general manager and I mean basically all his employees they have to take it and pass it before they're invited back to work at his restaurants. So I mean you know the guys he's trying to you know he's creating he's he's creating his own path. Because yeah. the government's, you know, the Always state's has. not doing anything. The government's not doing it. He's like, hey, I'm going to set my own standards, what they are. They're going to be high. And here's what we're going to do. So I salute him, man. I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy that he's going to get back in business. It's, it must be the, a total mind melt to not know whether you're going to be allowed to have 25% of your capacity inside, 50%. <laughs> 75%? How do you plan? You have no idea how many people you're going to be allowed to even have in your restaurant. And you know that you probably have to have somewhere near 75% to break even. I don't know how you're going to do it. How, how about you wake up on a Tuesday and the governor's decided that you can't you can't have, you know, the 25% that you could serve in the restaurant. Numbers don't look good today, so we're just shutting that down. You're done. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> All yeah. I have to say, folks, is remember, re there's an election coming up. <laughs> Dude, that was coming. <laughs> Don't forget to vote. I was ready to get my uh, get my uh, bumper sticker and put it on my car, man. It would be so big. And I'm not. Car, and dude. right now, the jury's out. Other than everybody who is in power, we need a whole. You shuffle the deck chairs. Get them out. All of them. Everyone. <laughs> Get him out. Holy, Holy smokes. You and I could have done a better job. Really? Yeah. That's uh, an epic fail, man. Epic Wait a minute. Fail. Let's, let's be in California. You're open. No, you're not open. You're open. No, you're not open. School's on. Nope, not on. It's like I said. I think I said this maybe a couple podcasts ago. Gavin Newsom, he can't win either way. He's nope. going to lose either way. He's in a lose-lose situation, man. Yep. Can't win. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, the pandemic took him out, man.
to get everybody out. I think if you're, it's like an all-in thing in poker. If you're all-in, the thing you could do, the thing you do is just minimize. You minimize, you, you try to flatten the curve, and you minimize death. And you just like, this is my plan. I did my plan. Yeah. yeah. I made a call. That's better than, that's better than turning it on or off. Yeah. So, hey. Uh, but no, uh, it's really, uh, I don't know. Are, are Shake Shacks company owned or are they franchises? You know, Shake Shack uh, Shake, is Shake Shack, I, I believe Shake Shack is a corporation. So uh, you could buy shares for Shake Shack. So I think Shake Shack got the PPP loans and Shake Shack, Shake Shack continued to operate. So they does got Danny, the loans. Does Danny, isn't Danny Meyer the CEO? Or the yeah, 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 it's, yeah, yeah. Okay, they're, they're separate. They're separate. Things. They're separate yeah. corporate ent- entities. Yeah. I get. So. And he also got to, um, uh, you know, as a result of that, they have uh, other avenues of raising money. You know, you sure. know with that corporate structure. So um, things are. Have looking you been to the Shake Shack? I have. Yeah. In, in Marin. Oh, not in Marin. No, I've only yeah. been to the ones in the airports. Yeah, you should go to the one in Marin. Go okay. experience it. Which city is it in? It's in Corte Madera, right? You know, in the mall that's at um, the right hand side, ferry, ferry building. What is that called? The Marin Mart. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. I'll check it out. Self a California Golden State Double. All right. I'm. I, I love. I love a good burger. You know, I experience their process. It's <laughs> wow. I'll. I'll. I'll definitely do First that. First of man. all, it's filled with young Marin teenagers. Oh, of course. I mean, that's how you know the food's good. Yeah. Could you? No, no, no. Working the place. That's all I'm saying. Can you imagine <laughs> trying to lead these people <laughs> to get a burger out the door on time? Focus. Oh, just go. Focus. You get a burger. It's good. Really good. Really good. Super good burger. Anyway, you got to go experience it. I will, my friend. I have... Um... I have a quick, uh, I don't know if I sent this to you or not. I think I did. Um, Dan Berger wrote an article on the drawbacks of vintage charts. Yes, I, I, I read that article. <laughs> I want to spend a whole bunch of time on so it. It's so true. It really is. Uh, yeah. It really is interesting. And the, and the net net of this is that, you know, as he goes through it, um, he talks about, you know, how difficult it is to actually pen a rating on the vintage because there's so many variables. It's a useless metric. Yes. (laughs) That's basically what he said. I'm trying to be kind. No, no, it's just, it it deserves to be said in that language. It's the stupidest thing ever. This year was a 70. It was a six. Every wine produced that year was a six. I makes remember, no sense. Makes no I remember, sense. I remember I first got into wine, man. I mean, this is a, a while ago. And, you know, I would go into a wine shop and I wasn't sure about something. Or I would pull out my vintage chart. You know, I mean, this I had a vintage chart that I actually carried in my wallet, dude. And, you know. You know what I did when I went into a wine <laughs> store? If I had enough courage, I walked up to a clerk and said, hey, does this taste good? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Way ahead of me. 
I th- and my dad probably told me like three or four things to look on a label. Did I remember what kind of label? No. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, but I, I love this thing about the 82s, uh, talking about the uh, the 82s from Bordeaux and how, uh, you know, it was heralded as this greatest vintage. But, you know, yeah, from some of the top chateaus, maybe. But, you know, for, for the middle of the road places, it wasn't that great because the weather it was so hot. And if you didn't have a facility that could, you know, cool down the grapes before they started fermenting, or if you didn't have a chill room or something like that, you know, you can make a pretty horrible wine. And uh, I, I like that. I like that he brought that up, but I had never really thought about it, the whole vintage chart, because, you know, I've never really looked. I know, I obviously, I read about the vintages and I know what's going on. And I could tell you, you know, you know, back 20 years, I could tell you what vintage is good for this area and what vintage is, you know, better wines made for that area. But it's kind of like that old analogy that, you know, uh, a good vintage raises all the ships. And that's in general, that's true. And I don't think he brought that about. Like if you have a vintage like, say, 2014, which in Europe was a, you know, was a pretty tough vintage because it was cool and it rained a lot. It's a lot more difficult to make a good wine during those vintages, but good wines are made during those vintages. There's just less of them versus 2015 when the weather was just a little bit, it was a lot, lot easier to work with. There was less rain. There was a lot of uh, moisture in the soil. So the, so the vines really, really, um, you know, they benefited from that. Um, They weren't stressed. And, you know, there was a lot there was a lot more better wines made in 2015. So I think that's within that vintage is what happens, because I'm thinking about the last time in California. I'm trying to think of the last terrible vintage we had. And I think in California, I believe it was like, I don't know, 1972. I think that was like the last horrible vintage, man. So I remember 09 and I remember going to it was 09 or 08. And we went to Robert Rue. Mm-hmm. And he normally made like, and I don't have my numbers right, but it's good. It's a good enough comparison. But the amount of uh, land that he had planted in Pinot, like, would make three barrels of of Pinot. And th- and in '09 or '08, he got like half a barrel. And consistently, yeah. the production of that particular varietal for that year was consistent among Russian river producers. So I was equating, you know, these charts to that, to the, to the production. Oh, to the amount of wine that's made. Yeah. Yeah. And which is, which is, you know, and that was my loose sort of calibration. Um, But, you know, there's a, as we, as we know, there are more, a lot, there's a lot more to it than that. And so you like you got massive production, but you know the grapes may not be that complex, for example, mm-hmm. for yeah. whatever reason. But anyway, it it is a uh, it's a really good point in his article um, around you know it's a very broad you know it's trying to capture a it's a it's a metric or a statistic that is trying to capture a very complex set of statistics and often those things when they get boiled down you lose all of the you lose a lot it's like it's like rounding you know you round the number up you know you round you know you're losing your precision at some level and in the case of wine it actually matters 
because and of you the- can't yeah and you really can't generalize with these wines i'll give you a, a yeah, prime they, example for me would be bordeaux you, you know you can if you can cluster them right because yeah. they're here's what i'm what here's what i'm saying like the math if you want to start to do math on all this you can and what i mean by that is there are bordeaux producers who are are of the same rating that have somewhat of the same terroir which are going to lead to a lot of things so you can start to compare their wines because a lot of the you start to normalize the variables is what I'm saying. They're similar to each of them. Does mm-hmm. that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. But the way that everything's structured, which is what he's starting to talk about, may not hold together in the 21st century because of the amount of information we have access to and 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 what we understand. So yeah, they, it's too much. You really have to be careful with generalizations. And, you know, my example would be 2015 Bordeaux versus 2016 Bordeaux. The, the left bank Bordeaux, which are all the wines, um, you know, if you're, if you're traveling down the Jerome and you're going out towards the Atlantic Ocean, it's all the properties that are on the left-hand side. And the right bank wines would, would be on the right side. The, the actual the terroir or the actual the, the ground where the grapes are grown is different on either side of the river. So. Totally. One side, on the left side, they grow predominantly Cabernet. On the right side, they grow predominantly Merlot and Cabernet Franc with the little Cabernet. So two different types of wines, two different areas. So if you look at 2015, and here I am, again, I'm generalizing, but in general, 2015 left bank wines are offer more in the bottle than 2015 right door wine, uh, right bank wines. And it's because the weather was warmer in 2015 and the wines that are grown on the, on the right bank, the Pomerol, the, the Mer- Merlot and the Cabernet Franc, they tend to do better in cooler weather. So, you know, not as good of a vintage, but the next year, 2016, they flipped around and the wines in 2016, the Pomeroles, the wines on the right bank, seem to be offering more to the drinker. So, you know, it's it's you would only know that if you tried the wine side by side. If you tried them, you know, if you did a like a, a mini vertical, so to speak, and you tried them side by side, you would know that. But that's those minute differences. They're very, very easy to discern when you have the wine side by side. Conversely, if you had the 14s next to the 15s and the 16s, you would really notice a difference because 2014 was a horrible year for wine, mainly in Europe. I mean, it rained, it was cold, it was it was because a terrible the, year. The wines actually the appear to be, you know, they're quite thin. Um, they're already kind of like uh, right now. A lot of the wines are already starting. To, you know, they're at the end of the they're at the end of the road already. I mean, they've only been in bottle for like about six years. Or, you know, well, four years. So, um, but there's a market difference between a 14, a 15, and a 16. And uh, I guess my point is, what his point is, is that you can't generalize about vintages. Your best indicator of what's going to be good in a bottle of wine is actually who's making the wine. That's your best indicator. Yeah, that vintage number is more about the production. That's what I. That's where I'm netted out. Like in general, did this region have a good, 
a good year for production. And when I say a good year, it also includes the the gradient of you know the complexity of the grape or whatever the winemaker is looking for. But but back to your point, it's all about the winemaker. Yeah, yeah. Because well, no matter what they're handed for fruit, they'll a good winemaker will coax a. a they will they will express the best from that fruit yep yeah, i mean that's, I agree. that's the art of winemaking is to learn how to do that and it's it's so it's such a subtle thing i don't know i it's a real art in my in my mind and we and we missed out on uh tipping off people to this hopefully it's not too late and this is a totally random this just came off the top of my head um i was speaking with um one of my customers that's a kind of a, a, a pretty big winery uh, here in Sonoma County. And uh, I was asking, um, this is one of the administrators in the office. I was asking her how the, you know, what's going on with the hiring for the crush. And uh, she shared with me that it was, you know, it was probably one of the most difficult times um, that they've ever had in, um, in the past few years with hiring people um, because, of the COVID thing, you know, they can't typically what they do is they hire people from other countries that come over interns that come over that are studying wine from France or Portugal or South New Africa, Zealand, or whatever. South Africa, mid all of these, yeah. all these people. And these people India. aren't coming, they're not coming into the United States because, well, they're not welcome for wine. They can't. Yeah, they can't. Right? <laughs> so, they can't. so there's all these openings. So she says, well, what we're getting is we're getting waiters and bartenders you know that are coming in and applying and and she goes it's causing a lot of stress for the winemakers because they're used to hiring people that have a a little bit of an idea of what's going on you know not to say that waiters and bartenders you know aren't hard workers but it helps if you know what you're doing well, I got to train somebody now <laughs> right so, so now they got to train people yeah i got an intern that was in a in a uh I don't know, fermentation science or oniology, who knows what they're studying, but they are studying the process of making wine. So, you know, the winemaker, it's like the chef saying, hey, here's a rack of lamb, French the lamb. Exactly. Well said. French the rack. And so like, if you, if you, if you've been in a restaurant, you you know what that means. You're trimming the rack of lamb to make it look a hundred percent presentable from oven to table. Yeah. You're trimming all the fat. So, you know, those little bones when you get a rack of lamb, well, they don't normally look like that. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, if you've ever seen one. Anyway, when a winemaker says tank the wine, top the barrel, there are various things that somebody who's studying how to do it would already know what it means. Whether or not they've done it before is one thing. Yeah. But when you tell a waiter to do that, they'll be like, <laughs> what are you, talking about? you want me to hook a hose up? What are you talking exactly. about? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. oh, by the way, you might want to invest some rubber boots, my friend. <laughs> so, it's wet around here. Yeah, so that's yeah. Th- that whole thing is. But well, my point is this: is that wineries are uh, they're a little bit desperate, especially over in Napa Valley. So if you have an inkling and you wanted to find out what it's like to work a crush, and you know maybe you don't have a whole bunch of experience. I mean, you never know. You could, if you got the time, if you got an extra three months, you want to take a little time off and and learn the process of winemaking this is probably one of your best opportunities to get in on that 
Oh boy. And this is like being able to break into show business. So like if you are interested in, you know, you have a pipe dream about, oh, I'm going to be a winemaker. No better opportunity. Yeah. It's also really interesting to me. It somewhat holds up to the argument of, 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 uh, the visa programs have been criticized for bringing in for for um you know bringing in labor that is somewhat some is somewhat skilled but could easily be done by an american with some training and so the business is i mean the business is really getting a deal by getting these interns in you know pay them as much they're already trained you know there's a little bit more cost for the business to train a sommelier but you know back in the day that just that's how it was. There weren't a lot of people with that knowledge. Yeah. And if you needed a job, well, just think about this. I'll, I'll use this example of kids. You know, when I was a kid, you know, if you wanted a job, you got a job. There were so many jobs. Absolutely. There, It was just, and, and they were the jobs that are filled by a lot of people who are adults now. Yeah, so easy. Working at burger restaurants, you know, cleaning stuff, being a seller rat to some degree. I mean, it was, you know, they were just, they were just available. And like your, you and your friends from school, like worked in these places. Now it's different, but because yeah. of COVID, it might be back to that. Yeah, I think so. And that, yeah. that really is it. I think that's a good thing for, for communities in general. You know, I'd love for my kid, my, both my boys to work in a, be cool if they got to work in a winery for a while, no matter what they did. Yeah. Or any kind of production, any kind of food production thing. Yeah, it would definitely be a growing experience for a, a young, a young person. No doubt. You know, even if they were just going out, you know, and whatever, they're, if they were, had to go out and, and take samples in the vineyard or whatever. I mean, just being out and like that whole no, idea. Making your, and again, back to makers and sellers. Yeah. You're part of making something. And that there's a lot. Anyway. We talk for hours about that stuff, but there's, it's interesting that that you, you said that and that they're, they're experiencing that in there and they're, it, it, the business is thinking the way a business should, well, you know, these people cost more money because I got to train them. Yeah. And I was so, figuring, I was, you know, it's been a long time since I dragged hoses. I was trying to figure out how I could like make this the way that I could maybe like get involved in something like that, but I couldn't take the pay cut. <laughs> I could, you know, it's like, I, it was like, I can't, but that's, you know, a, you I, know, so that's, that's where we really want government. So that check that they're writing, like, no, seriously, that's the, like, they should be, and I'm going to go right back to healthcare. If you had healthcare taken care of, didn't have to think about that. And you mm -hmm. had some kind of stipend for retraining, no matter what it was, you would make that transition. I could do it. Yeah, that's true. And that's, that's that's what needs to happen, no matter what it is. I have a friend of mine who's been a software guy for decades. He started in a cabinet shop. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, how can I, I think I want to buy a cabinet shop. It was really yeah. great to make crap every day. Yeah. I make cabinets every day. He's been a maker. He's just made bits for a That's while. That's his deal. He wants to do it. Yeah. But, you know, it's we make it. We haven't figured out how to make that easier. I think healthcare would make it easier. That's my world domination plan for tonight. Bill and on, for president, 
Yes, on that lovely note, if you'd like to actually talk to us about something we have some provenance on, please hit Al up on the Twitters at Vino101Net. You can email us at info at Vino101Net.net. Hit us up on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, although loosely looked at. Um, and if you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Tell a friend, tell a friend. Hey, and uh, I'll, I'll post a couple, of, um, a, a couple of posts about some of the wines I've had. Of, of recent i'll just uh i'll add them on to the um the post when we get it up next week yes and coming soon a review of pliny for president pliny for president all right i'll look forward to that cheers everybody cheers yeah